Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and welcome to The Daily Beast, The New Abnormal. I'm a left-wing pundit and an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. Our world has been turned upside down. On The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and figure out how to get ourselves out of it. And I'm producer Jesse Kennan. I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. Today, we have an excellent show Former Vermont governor and former head of the DNC, Howard Dean, is going to join us to talk about COVID as well as how the Democrats win. But first, we have writer at large at The Bulwark, host of Not My Party on Snapchat, and a political analyst at MSNBC, returning favorite, Tim Miller. Welcome back to the new abnormal, Tim Miller. Hey, Molly. I would rather be nowhere else than new and abnormal. Well, we are happy to have you. We got some complaints this weekend that new abnormal was not normal enough or abnormal enough. Uh, so you called in the relief pitcher? You called That's you right. called you called me out of the bullpen to bring That's the crazy. Right. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> Jim Jordan is very good at ignoring crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I feel like that's ultimately like we will remember him as someone who has been spectacular at ignoring crimes. And the armpit stains. <laughs> There's no jacket. But those two things, I think probably, yeah. <laughs> the jacket thing, I think the jacket thing, and you tell me if I'm right here because I don't know so much about men's fashion. And my husband thinks I don't know anything about men's fashion. But <laughs> he doesn't wear the jacket because he thinks he looks taller without the jacket, right? You think taller? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I I, I think that he it makes him uh, feel like he's a man of the people. Uh, you know, I think it's a working man shtick. I don't put on that Jose Bank jacket like these squares. <laughs> I'm just a I'm just a wrestling coach covering up crimes. <laughs> can, can, can I hypothesize as somebody who's known a few wrestling douches in their time? And I don't want to imply that all people who like wrestling are douches. I love some people who like wrestling, but they do tend to be. Very proud of their distinct body shape. Right. I think that this is a uh, wrestler body pride. Like his shoulders? Like you think he thinks he has prominent <laughs> shoulders? Traps? Pecs. Oh, you think he has, thinks he has pecs? He does not have pecs. I, I think he thinks traps. he does. I worry <laughs> that we've gotten a little far afield here. I loathe to be the person to tell us to concentrate on what we were talking about. <laughs> yes, but... yes, yes. First for everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so Politico reported this weekend that Matt Gates and Jim Jordan called Donald Trump twice on January 6th, panicked, trying to get him to calm down the crowd. What, what are you guys thinking of this? First of all, Jim Jordan did say earlier on that he had talked to Trump on January 6th. Yeah, remember he had that really awkward interview with like a, it was like a local Ohio reporter who was like 12 <laughs> years old and was not asking hard questions. He was just like, so when did you talk to Trump? And Jim Jordan's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, So, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a while because for a while that there was something here. 
<laughs> That's true. My question is always, like, why do they want us to know this now, right? Why did Matt Gates tell Politico this now or someone in Matt Gates's office? Yeah, it doesn't seem uh, like an obvious Matt Gates thing to want to do, right? I mean, isn't Matt Gates's whole brand now, like, going full MTG, going full insurrection? So, uh, you know, it is hard to speculate, right? I mean, look, there are a lot of people that have always secretly hated Trump. I, I don't think that Matt Gates is in that category, but there could be people that he's told that are in that category, right. that, are, right, that, that are kind of doing a double bank shot. You know, Matt Gates has got some buddies in Florida who, like, want Ron DeSantis to be the president, so they're doing a double bank shot. Maybe if we, you know, leak <laughs> against Trump here, this will help weaken him. I, I mean, that could be it. Could simply be a staffer trying to save face, right? I mean, it could simply right. just be, you know, and there's an Occam's Razor explanation, right? Like, Matt Gates and Jim Jordan have big mouths, so they might just be right. talking to other people who told <laughs> right. Politico. You know, I, I don't know if there's a grand strategy behind this. I think that, to me, the most telling thing about all of it is that literally everyone, even the most sociopathic members of the House Republican Caucus, like Matt Gates and Jim Jordan, <laughs> recognized that the president had committed a just an absolute unacceptable abdication of his responsibility that day and that, that this was a severe crisis and that something needed to be done to stop it. They needed to, you know, press the red button and say, be normal for one second, Mr. President. Even they saw that clearly. And yet now, six months out, eight months out, literally everyone in the party is, is acting as if it is nothing. As acting it was, if it was not a big deal anymore, like that we need to just move on. People need to stop being ob ob obsessed with it. And, and I think that's the most telling part about all this, that I, I don't know that it will have any political impact really on Trump or, or Gates. And it might, it certainly is going to mean that Gates and Jordan left to testify. But my guess is that they'll, you know, be clowns and, you know, put on the clown makeup and do whatever Trump wants them to do when they testify. But right. I, I just think it's a, it's an important insight that, that even, even fucking Matt Gates saw this clearly on January 6th. Right. Right? Imagine that. Matt Gates, who decided to post a picture of himself next to his wife now, Ginger Lucky, with her mouth agape, asleep next to him, while being investigated by the FBI for sex trafficking. Or I don't know if it's sex trafficking. Being investigated by the FBI for some kind of nefarious female activity still posted a selfie with his <laughs> wife. Pastor. Do you know Ginger's husband? Or Ginger's brother? Ginger's brother, I mean? Le uh, Palmer Lucky? No. Yeah, really weird guy. Really weird guy. One of the weirdest mm. lunches I've ever had um, was with Palmer Lucky. He invented the... Uh, Oculus. Oculus, yeah. And then he funded, like, uh, in 2016, he was one that was, like, funding the troll army, the meme oh, troll wow. army that was um, backing Donald Trump's candidacy in the primary. It was, like, a Reddit army of trolls wow. uh, that were being paid by Palmer Lucky. It's a very interesting, weird family dynamic there. The Gates and Lucky merger is, is concerning. That's pretty sleazy. You know how they say you're often attracted to traits of your family? It sounds like what she sees in him is the troll within her family. <laughs> Yes, that is that makes a lot of sense from the ginger side. I don't get that from the Matt side. Matt's dad is is kind of great, actually. He's just a really normal guy. Was the president of FSU. It's unclear to me what 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 happened there, but um, but yeah, that does make sense. Maybe Ginger loves the troll. Is it unclear to you because I get the like fucked up son decides he's gonna like make daddy proud by being even you know being even worse. Do you know what I mean? Like I get that. Like I think I've seen sons like that. 
That's true. There's a really great. T- I'm I'm gonna like just take this to kind of a weird direction. There's a really great Tim Noah article that everyone should read about the Bozell family, and maybe oh, the Gates yeah. family is like the Bozell yes. family, or like the the Bozell, the oldest Bozell, like actually made money building things, and then the next Bozell was like with William F. Buckley and was a little crazy, but like at least kind of a serious scholar. And then you had Brent Bozell, who's right. like a total hack, like media, you <laughs> yeah. know, me, anti, right. you know, everything the media does is bad. Conservative right. hack, and then now the youngest Bozell was arrested for being an insurrectionist. Yes, <laughs> that's right. that's, that's it's right. like the slow deterioration of every son trying to outdo the father. Um, <laughs> this could be that with the Gates, the, the male son prophecy. Right, exactly. I mean, there is a <laughs> there is an incredible incredible group of fail sons. The fail son prophecy is a good potential podcast title. Let's just mark that <laughs> off to the side. The fail son uh, prophecy is basically what we lived through for the last five years. That's true. <laughs> I mean, like, Donald was mad that he never was as successful as his dad and Donald Jr. terrorized the rest of us. <laughs> the reason that we are all still here to have this podcast is because Fred Trump didn't love his son. Because yeah. that, that deep hole inside Donald's like chest that made him want to be loved, like, helped him walk us away from the brink a couple of times. I often think about it. I don't think we've ever discussed in this podcast that Joe Biden is the first president in decades that has had a good relationship with their father. I'm sure Carter had a good relationship with his father. Carter is still decades. W and HW weren't so terrible. Mm. I think they were terrible, but they loved each other. Right. That's what I mean. Like, their relationship wasn't so terrible. I think once W got in there, there was some... um, you know, some tensions. For example, I'm going to hire as my de- secretary of defense, the person that hates you the most in Washington, dad, and then he's going <laughs> to get us into a stupid war. So like, I think that created some tensions, but I think before he got in it. That's probably a good place to pivot because Tim, you've been talking a good deal about Afghanistan and writing about it at the bulwark. Uh, can you give us your take on what's been going on there? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You some oranges, some fruit is going to be thrown at me. <laughs> you are still a conservative, so. I am. Boy, I understand the desire to get out. We've been there for 20 years. Some of the young men that died and women um, uh, the other day, like, were barely alive, like, when when this war started. And, and, and you know, so I understand that folks had, had that it had run its course with the American public. I, I understand that, you know, getting out of a place like Afghanistan is never going to be you know, clean pickings. And there are always going to be some issues that you bump into. This has been particularly messy, though. And and, and I just, I, I don't think that you can look at it and say that the Biden administration did everything that they could to make sure that this pullout was as unmessy as possible. But I'm <laughs> I just don't, right? Like, right. like I think that, that you know, we've known for a while that, that the Taliban was encroaching. I think that if you were decided that we were going to get out, you know, if, if, if it was true that Biden was like, we're leaving on August 31st, no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, then to me, the military and State Department needed to have changed their strategy to figure out how to get as many people out as possible, you know, while the Taliban was encroaching. And now I know that a big part of this was Ghani. Ghani said, please don't do that, Mr. President. Please don't do that. I'll lose my authority if they can, if they see their mass evacuation, you know, evacuations. But then that 
then that motherfucker just disappears and like in the middle of the day on his lunch break right. and he just runs <laughs> away. And so then once that happens, you know, they had a really short window there between then and when the Taliban came in. But it seems to me that it's like, okay, we got to pull the red cord here and say, everybody get the fuck out of Afghanistan like as soon as possible, right? And 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 it just, it didn't feel like that urgency was there. Obviously, they're dealing with the pandemic. You know, the last president le- like left him holding a, a, the most epic shit sandwich available. And I just don't think there's any way to look at it besides the fact that it was messier than it needed to be. I think that Biden's best argument is that because of the deal that Trump cut, you know, we couldn't have maintained the status quo. And so I put this on Trump and Biden. I just I don't know that we couldn't have. Right. Like if you roll back the clock now before Biden to the middle to two years ago, was having 2,500 people there really that big of a deal? I, I just I just don't know that it was. And that is maybe where my, you know, neocon, you know, American flag sunglasses might put me at odds with some of the listeners. But I, I just I just don't think it was. And, and, and I guess that, that my main thing is if we decided that it was, then our number one priority needed to get as many of the people that helped us as many of the women who went to college, as many of the citizens out of there and somewhere else as possible. As far as I'm concerned, we should take a quarter million of them. And, and it just didn't seem like they did that. And that's really frustrating for me. See, I have not been a huge fan of the Biden foreign policy triumphant for a while because I feel like they seem to make mistakes that they are too qualified to be making. But, I mean, the reason why there weren't a lot of Americans killed was because Mike Pompeo negotiated with the Taliban that we were going to get out. So, and the, and I also think ultimately really what has shifted is the public sentiment on this war is on the right and on the left. People do not want to be in there at all, period, paragraph. So as much as, you know, it was not, I mean, look, I'm not defending them. I, I, I don't doubt mistakes were made. Of course, it's hard to say mistakes were made when you look at an, the administration that came before where mistakes were made every minute of every second of every day continuously. And sometimes they were so bad you didn't even know if they weren't intentionally making mistakes to prove a point. So, I mean, I feel like we're, I feel like part of it is just like readjusting to normal, right? Like a normal administration making normal mistakes versus a catastrophe, you know, trying to undermine democracy at every point. Yeah, look, I'm not putting on a red hat over here, uh, over this. It's a disagreement. It's a disagreement I had with Biden as uh, when he was running. There were a couple of those, by the way. Obviously, I'm a former Republican. Right. Biden has been consistent on this since, and here's the thing, Biden was probably right back in 2009. And so I think this is the frustrating part about this. I think Biden knows he was right back in 09 when he was the only one in the Obama administration that was like, we should get out when all the generals wanted Obama to surge. And and Obama, you know, um, I think Biden felt like Obama was pushed around by the generals a little bit and and, and doing the surge. And, And I think given what we've seen in the last decades since, Biden probably is right to think I had that one. And now that I'm in charge, I'm going to do what Obama did it. I understand that mindset. Right. What I what I don't, I just I just think that the, what I loved about Biden is that he's so empathetic and that he, he, he talked about caring about human rights and American and, and, and the American ideal and what kind of positive impact American can play in the world. And I, and I feel like this action has been kind of callous, right? That it's mm-hmm. like, right. we're just going to kind of leave all these people to get screwed. And we are, you know, going to kind of do it in this haphazard way, that is the thing that that leaves me feeling, you know, with a bad taste in my mouth, despite the fact that, you know, it isn't 
I'm not running for the exits of the Biden presidency or anything like that. Um, and, and and I also worry, by the way, just politically speaking, I don't know that we're out of it. I, 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 no, I worry clearly. that the Democrats feel like, oh, you know, the Biden administration feels like, oh, OK, well, we pull out August 31st and by mid-September, nobody will care about Afghanistan again. I worry there are going to be stories of Americans who are stuck there, horrific mm-hmm. things happening. Right. Like I, th- this could be uh, have a political impact in addition to a, to the human impact, you know, that lasts for a while. Right. No, I mean clearly, but the reality is Americans want it out. I mean, that is the ultimate truth of it. I mean, the thing I don't like is the right wing narrative. Americans are kind of dumb, though. <laughs> I mean, like Americans want all kinds of crazy shit. They're like, they're like, we don't want to cut taxes, but we want you know college to be free. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if you just like, if you just did everything that Americans wanted, I mean, that's like the dumb populism that, like, I, you know, that that I know that I've, you know, a lot of us have pushed back. I mean, yes and no, right? The public sentiment has shifted. We are no longer a country that can convincingly sell democracy elsewhere. We can barely keep it alive at home. I wonder if, too, if you know. When we talk about Biden's empathy, some of the empathy is that we need to fund America and that we lose so much money over there and we lose blood and everything. And if the empathy is unfortunately putting, quote unquote, America first. I just think he can't say we got to stay in there at this point because the, the, the die has already been cast. I get that. And the big policy thing, by the way, I, I, had we had a relatively orderly exit, like, I, I just, I could have stomached it. I would have disagreed with it. I would have mm. come on this podcast and disagreed with it. Right. I just, you know, you hear these stories of people that are helping us and they have their, you know, their face against the fence and, and you know, they, they had risked their lives to help us. And, you know, there was this once, I was watching this video of this kid who was 17 and, you know, he had a visa, but it just hadn't gone through all the way. And he had a flight. His flight was supposed to leave on Friday. And then that asshole, Ghani, like, left the country for the Taliban to come and so he couldn't get on his flight because the city collapsed and it's like God, that kid would be a great American. And like, we should get, you know, this is my like bleeding heart, like, you know, USA neoconism. And I think that the military guys, by the way, to the most part, not all of them, to the most part, they want to go help get more people out, you know? And so I just, I, I feel like the execution of this has been a little bit of, we're going to do what we can, but, but, you know, we're out by the August 31st and that date is the most important thing. Like, to me, it's like, I don't know. I feel like you would have support from the, from the military for a mission that's like, okay, we're going to push into town here a little bit and get us many people as I, maybe that's not possible maybe that's not possible i you know so i don't i don't want to do military strategy i just mean political the one thing that i would say is we did have jason kander on the podcast who is a veteran who worked in the sort of anti-corruption unit in the afghani government and he is really one of my favorite thinkers and talkers and i wish he would run for office he said you know this is a really really bad situation and you can't start the reason why you can't start getting people out until the city falls is that if you do that you cause the city to fall it hadn't occurred to me that that was what was happening but that you really can't start evacuating people until you know it's a fait accompli because otherwise you cause it and this is why it's on trump too. You know, and this right. is why it's on that asshole. And I and I hate to let him off because here's the thing. I, that's, I guess, true in a week's timeline, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not really true in a half decade timeline. I mean, and really more than that, a 13 year time. I mean, like, yeah. like we, like every president for the last three elections has run on getting out of Afghanistan. So, so, you know, if we were just slowly but surely, you know, like, you know, filling, you know, uh, uh, getting those visas filled out and bringing out a thousand people a month, right. you know, for the, for the last, for the 
last right. six years, like mm-hmm. then that would you know that would have made our job a lot easier here this year, right? And like you know, right. obviously Trump and Gollum he Miller shut that right. completely shut out all refugees and made it as hard yeah. as possible. And then Biden gets in and he's got the you know he's got this. And this is why like the rush is frustrating because it's like maybe if Biden had more time, they finally were getting the visa stuff back online, but like a month before the city falls, right? And so that's all frustrating. It's very hard to get into what's happening when we have such a limited view of what's really happening. So, Tim, you are a California resident, uh, and there's a recall election uh, happening in your state right now. Can you tell us about what you're seeing there? I learned my lesson in 2016 to not tell liberals to wet the bed, because in 2016, (laughs) I told everybody that Hillary Clinton would beat Donald Trump from jail and that they need to stop worrying about it and that it's all good. There's no way people are going to vote for this moron. Don't tell anyone you said that. I was not. Well, it's on Google, and it's like like my worst Google hit. If you Google me, it comes. Actually, don't Google this, because every time someone clicks on it, it stays at the top of my Google. So hopefully it'll just disappear from the internet. Uh, we need to unsantorum that for you. Yeah, thank you. I whiffed. I whiffed on that one. All right, <laughs> such is life. Um, you know, we all make we all make mistakes. You got to own up to them. So I, I I don't want to make the same mistake with an overconfident comment here in California. I will say this: I think that some of the media coverage of the of the recall has been a little breathless. I, I think that folks want this to be close because it's interesting. You know, I think that there have been some close polls that that and that I think rightly worries Democrats and Democratic strategists should be concerned. Having Larry Elder, who yeah, is like really. a talk show I mean- host, who's a madman as the governor of California. Right. Like, this is not an Arnold situation. This is not an Arnold situation. This is like having Don Jr. as the governor of a state, basically. So there's good reason to be concerned. That said, if you look at the polls, this is only an issue of enthusiasm. Democratic voters are kind of meh on this right now. Right. Republican voters are like, hell yeah, Gavin Newsom is making me put on this Nazi slave mask yeah. and I'm going to get him <laughs> out of there and I'm pissed that the Democrats won everything last year and we're going to get our revenge, et cetera, et cetera. So if you ask Republicans, are you going to vote? They say, hell yeah, 10 out of 10. If you ask Democrats, where do you think you're going to vote? Let's go from 1 to 10. They're like, eh, 6. I got to surf and yoga and, you know, we're going on a little vacation and I might yeah. not do it. Or the, yeah. you know, the working class Democrats are like, I'm busy. You know, I've got, I've, I've got, you know, I got to make it to work this week. Okay. But in California, everybody gets mailed a ballot. So this was a, actually a good reform that the Democrats made that maybe these national Democrats should start looking at. What are some reforms that we can, we can put through to combat right. The Republican, you know, obstruction on voting rights. If they're not going to pass these big bills like HR one, what are some other things we can do? Vote. Everybody gets a mail-in ballot. I just right. refuse to believe in a state that Gavin Newsom. He won by twenty something between twenty and twenty-five points. He won by over two million votes. That that's going to happen. And this feels to me like an inverse of when everybody got excited about Beto. And like at the end of the day, Texas was still Texas, you know. Right. And like at the end of the day, California is still California. I, like Texas was changing. So that's where the, you know, the limits of this metaphor are. California is not really changing the way Texas is. But, you know, the math is just really hard. I think that Gavin will end up being okay. Democrats in California need to vote and tell their friends to vote because that's what this is all about right now. It's not about people changing their mind about, you know, you know, leaving the party. California is not going red anytime soon. Like, it's all about the enthusiasm gap. You know, folks need to vote. If, If he does lose. It will be because Democrats turn out and it will be the most insane example of like a non a non majoritarian democracy that you've ever heard of. Because he'll he's gonna end up getting forty-eight or forty-nine percent of the vote on the first question, and then Larry Elder will get like eighteen percent of the vote on the second question and become the governor, which would be madness. 
Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's really, 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 really scary. And I think that I hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, the the worst case scenario is the Feinstein scenario too, right? You know, yes. and this is this you know where where Elder wins, and then Feinstein has to retire because of health issues or whatever, and then he gets to appoint uh, a senator, and then Mitch McConnell's the majority leader again. So I mean, th- these are really high stakes. I. I think that, again, to my point, though, I think that the high stakes of this, I'm just starting to see anecdotally being here a lot more like, hey, hey, friends on Instagram, like, like send your ballot in, you know, like the kind of thing that you don't like sometimes see in, in out here. You know, I've been out here when there have been a lot of elections that nobody cared about, right? Because it right. was like, at the end of the day, does it really matter which of these two Democrats, like, it wins this runoff for a turn, right? And, and so I, I think that the enthusiasm gap might be changing. We'll see. But, uh, but that, I mean, that's, that's really what this all, all comes down to. Hey, folks, if you haven't heard, every single week we do a special bonus episode for Beast Inside, the Daily Beast membership program. Sometimes we interview senators like Cory Booker or the folks who explain what's happening behind the scenes in media like Jim Acosta or Soledad O'Brien. Sometimes we just have fun and talk to our favorite comedians and actors like Busy Phillips or Billy Eichner. And sometimes we just have friends around to analyze what's happening in the news. You can get all of our episodes in your favorite podcast app of choice by becoming a Beast Inside member, where you'll support the Beast's fearless journalism, as well as getting full access to podcasts and articles. To become a member, head to newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash the new abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash The New Abnormal. Dr. Howard Dean is the former governor of Vermont, as well as the former head of the DNC. Welcome back to The New Abnormal, Dr. Howard Dean. Thank you for having me. Well, we wanted to start with the horse deworming medicine. Yes or no, since you are a doctor? This is medical malpractice. And anybody who engages in this should lose their license, as one did just in Ohio today, should be kicked off the bench as soon as possible. Is this the trajectory of anti-science America? I mean, how did we get here? We got here because of Trump and because of populism. The country has gone mad. Luckily, this is only represents a very small number of people. There's always been cracks, crackpots and quacks. With social media, of course, people are much more aware of them. But they've always been, I mean, look, think, look at the history 120 years ago where people were peddling all kinds of stuff for, you know, rheumatism and all this kind of stuff. This is the descendant of that. But it's dangerous stuff. I mean, I'm sure you're aware that uh, 70% of the calls to the poison line in Mississippi are because of ivermectin use. You would think they would have gotten it out of their system with the malaria drug. Well, there's going to be cracks and crackpots in every profession. Guy in Arkansas is busy giving it to all the prison inmates. Right. But judges? I mean, this doesn't say much for our judicial system when a local judge in Ohio can order somebody to give her ivermectin. I mean, this is insanity. This is like my presiding over a trial without a law degree. Right. No, it is completely insane. And it says speak to the conviction, though, that these people have. Well, I, I actually think it's an illness. Tell me. But I, I just think there's deeply psychologically wrong with people who cling to beliefs like this. This is not about ivermectin. This is about some horrible psychiatric problem that they're solving by these kinds of very firm, unshakable beliefs. Yeah. From my sense, and again, I'm not a doctor and I haven't been governor yet, but it seems to me that Biden has done a very good job with the pandemic, all things considered. I think he's done a great job. I really do. The problem, of course, is Delta which is right. proving every day to be more and more dangerous. I, I wish I had better news, but I think we are headed to a place that's not that different than it was last academic year. I, I'm very, very concerned about this. Delta is proving worse every day. There's more and more kids in ICUs and they can't be vaccinated. If it were me, and I say this not as a public health expert because I'm not, although I follow it very closely, I would probably, uh, I think I, I'd want to discuss this with, FDA and CDC, but I would move now to make the vaccine available to uh, two-year-olds and above on an emergency basis. Yeah. It seems like half the country is working against us because we do have these governors like DeSantis and Abbott who are still actively working against masking. That's a small, that's a small minority of lunatics and who are, are really in it for their own politics. Um, I, I mean, people like Asa Hutchinson, look, there's not much I agree with Asa Hutchinson. He's a real governor, though. And, you know, he admitted he made a mistake and is trying to do the right thing. And I think no, I do not think most Republicans are crackpots, but of course the ones that are get all the get all the publicity. I mean, we're seeing governors trying to do the right thing a little late, like Kay Ivey. We've we're seeing it now. But Texas and and Florida are big states. Yeah, but those guys want to run for president, and apparently they don't mind if they kill a few people in their own state in order to do so. 
here's a theoretical question I'm curious at. How many people do you have to kill before it starts to hurt you in a Republican primary? Well, I don't know. I don't know about Texas, but in, in Florida, DeSantis is under 50 percent. And it was, I think, almost 70, uh, you know, two or three months ago. Now, we have to put up a decent candidate. I mean, you know, the Democrats have not been star achievers in terms of running great people who should be governor of Florida. We've got, we can't, you can't beat somebody with nobody or (laughs) with somebody who's run nine times before. You also have this experience working in the democratic machine too. So I'm curious to know what you think about, you know, there is COVID and I don't want to sound craven here because a lot of people are dying, but is this a political opportunity for Democrats? Well, it's a political opportunity because the Republicans made it a political opportunity. Eventually, crazy doesn't win. Right. I mean, you can say all outrageous things and Trump won once because of that. Not, it's not going to happen again. Now, you know, could a DeSantis win? I don't know. They could, a lot of people could get the Republican nomination because the Republican Party is now controlled by what I would call the Taliban faction of the Republican yeah. Party. But I don't think there's enough votes to win. I mean, the reason that Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are in the, are in the uh, Senate, A, they did run great campaigns, but B, Donald Trump put them over the top. Yeah. There were just too many just said, I cannot do this. This guy's a fraud and a charlatan, and we can't have this anymore. And that's going yeah. to be even even greater. And I just think it's a mistake for Abbott and DeSantis to think if you get the nomination, you'll deal with the problem of being a crackpot later on. It's going to be too late by then. Yeah. It strikes me that there is a sense in which there is part of the Republican Party that has decided to go as crazy as possible. Like, the Matt Gateses and the Marjorie Taylor Greens. You have all this history of, you know, you ran for president a while ago. Do you, did you ever think things would get this bad? No, uh, I think the future of the United States. I really do. I mean, look, we're not we're not as exceptional as we think we are. We're all human beings, and we're seeing uh, really unattractive flaws in human beings right now. And you know, I I, I just spent the morning. Uh, on a call with some people from the Republic of Georgia, they're going through something similar. They have a whole group of politicians that think they're more important than the people they serve. And that's the prescription for the end of democracy. Yeah. Maybe I didn't think this, but I hoped that when Trump would get defeated, that there would be a sense in which things might come back to balance. And it strikes me that this has not happened. I, yeah, I think it hasn't happened. It's a lack of courage. I mean, in the yeah. political world, there are too many people, and they seem to be concentrated in the Republican Party, but that's not always been the case. There are too many people who put themselves before the country. And there are damn few. I mean, there's 10 Republicans that voted uh, to impeach Trump, I think, the last time around. Yeah. Well, that means that there are 40 Republicans who don't have any courage and don't think they, you know, or else they're crazy. Right. And I, I choose to believe that most of them are not crazy. I mean, I think people like that guy from Wisconsin is a nut. But, you know, mo- <laughs> most of them are not. <laughs> Ron, Russia, Ron Johnson. Right. <laughs> there was video today of Minority Leader McConnell, I can't say it enough, saying right. that he was really surprised that Republicans don't want to take the vaccine. Is he not smart? I mean, I, he strikes me as smart and craven. How is this possible? All McConnell cares about is himself, period. It's never about the country with McConnell. It's, I mean, when you are the leader of the Senate and you say that your only objective is to make sure the sitting president doesn't get anything done, that pretty much speaks to who you are as a human being. And the loyalty to the country plays no factor in McConnell's statements whatsoever because he doesn't have any. Right. 
But he must have seen this coming. I mean, don't you think? I have no idea. I can't speak for McConnell. Yeah. But I mean, we have a real vaccine problem in this country. Well, we have two vaccine problems in the country. One is the people that won't take it. That's actually getting much, much better. Right. I mean, actually, the best testaments, uh, thanks to the networks, is people on who have been vaccinating, who have been uh, vax opposers, begging on their deathbed to have their loved ones take it. Right. And that's been, I think, incredibly effective. I mean, KIV, which he said, was incredibly effective. When you have real leaders, it's incredibly effective. Ivy has bona fide credentials as a real conservative in the most conservative state in the country. When she says this is a matter that we can blame on the anti-vaxxers, that gets people's attention. That's real leadership. And we don't see much of that in the Republican Party because they're all afraid. Yeah. I just don't understand. They're all scared of what? Remember, for months and months and months, we read pieces where it said, like, Republicans are afraid of Trump's tweets. Now what are they scared of? There are no tweets. I don't know. You've got to ask them. <laughs> I really, I have no idea what the hell there's a matter with these people. They just have given up on, the, on America, I guess. One of the things that we're seeing a lot of pundits attack Biden for is the withdrawal in Afghanistan. The implication is that this would somehow have gone better under Trump? No, look, the Republicans are being political. I mean, that, you know, it's, it's not, they don't know anything about this. I mean, they have a lunatic for the for the commander in chief for four years. Right. A little more planning ahead of time might have done some good. So, but I don't pay attention to anything the Republicans say because it's all about their politics and it's never about substance. Do we, do Democrats have any shot of keeping the House in 2022? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Of course we do. It's, it strikes me that the redistricting was not as bad as Democrats feared it would be. Well, we don't know yet because, we you know, there are going to be places like Florida and Texas, which, you know, are controlled by the right wingers. Right. That who knows what they'll do. I mean, some and some of the districts in North Carolina are just a preposterous joke. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, New York will probably do the same thing. I expect at least Stefanik to be undistricted. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Well, it's funny, but except that they're going to play the same game as Texas. So. Right. But at least Stefanik is the number three in the in the Republican Party. So they're going to have to find another woman to go along with their lunacy. Well, I don't know what they're going to do. I'm not worried. I mean, I can't pay attention to Republican politics. I think they have nothing to offer the country. Yeah. Howard, one of the things I think a lot of people wonder from a messaging thing is like, you know, you were at the head of the DNC for a while. People wonder why they don't connect the whole party together more as Democrats the way the Republicans do it, especially in a post-January 6th. That seems like a winning message. Do you have any thoughts on that? Look, Republicans are built differently than Democrats. I always teach this to my classes. Politics is a substitute for war, or a clause that said war is war by another means. The Republicans are well-suited to war because they're, they're top-down disciplined. They don't think for themselves they take orders well from the top guys. And they're incredibly disciplined. We're not. We're all smart. We all think we're smarter than we are. Right. And so we're all willing to fight with each other. We don't get on board easily. Um, and we're going in lots of different directions. We're sort of a true product of democracy in all its messiness. So it takes a long time for Democrats. Democrats are going to have to have more voters all the time because there's always going to be Democrats who go off and vote for Jill Stein or, you know, don't vote or all that kind of stuff. That doesn't happen in Republican politics until you get somebody like Trump in the White House. And then there are Republicans who just go, I just can't do this to the country. 
But, you know, I mean, a lot, there have been a lot of mistakes uh, in terms of presidents that have been elected um, by Republicans, but they are much more disciplined than the Democrats are. And that's because pol politics is a substitute for war. Is there a way in which Democrats could be more disciplined with their messaging? Like a good example is this weekend there was an edited video of Biden that went around and they were like, see, Biden is sleeping with the Israeli prime minister. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't say Biden's sleeping with the... Right, wait, sorry. Wait, 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 wait. Just, sorry. Yeah, let's rephrase that. Sorry. Let's rephrase that. <laughs> nice, Molly. Nice. That's gonna make, that'll make CNN tonight. I'm Erica John's daughter. I, <laughs> I hope you're going to leave this in the podcast. This is too good to... <laughs> yeah. But there was a video of Biden, a fake video that was edited that made it look like President Biden had fallen asleep during a meeting with the Israeli prime minister, when in fact he was just looking at his notes. That is something that I feel like Democrats don't push back on things like this because they sort of take the high road. And it strikes me that if Democrats don't push back on all of this disinformation, Republicans will rewrite history this way. Well, actually, I think that Biden is doing a great job in that regard. That's what you just described is what a mistake for Democrats. We can't rewrite every ridiculous thing. Now, we can't let it go unchallenged. But I thought that was well handled. Somebody, we, they, you know, they got up there and said the video was a fake. Uh, it's not true. And Biden is vigorous. Now, Biden shows that he's vigorous all the time. There was also a piece that said that Biden didn't go to the Air Force Base. Uh, to It was just a lie. And they're, they're going to lie. That's what they do as part of their DNA. So what you do is you refute it and you move on. And the people who want to believe it, so it doesn't right. take... So this is not convinced. Right. The people who are running around saying, oh, Biden fell asleep in the meeting with you, they were never going to vote for Biden. They're just you know, propagandists and, and saboteur. So I think to have elections be about he said, she said, or uh, what about is right. Do you think Democrats should be doing more messaging? Yeah, but I think the but I think Biden does a good job of this. He sticks to the messages Americans care about. And what Americans don't want to see is what Trump did is to get involved with every little thing all the time, good stuff all the time. What Biden talks about is the future of the country our patriotic feelings, what we owe each other, and how to rebuild America. People don't give a damn about what Trump on his taxes. And Biden shouldn't be talking about that, and he's not. And I think that's a good thing. Do you, but do, are you surprised at how much public sentiment has shifted in the last 20 years when it comes to Afghanistan and foreign wars? Not at all. I think people want to get the hell out of Afghanistan. I think this is, look, I, I am upset about what's going on in Afghanistan because I think this is going to be a positive for for um, for Biden. At the end, he was the one that got us out of Afghanistan. Right. I mean, he's doing something that's very popular on both the left and the right. I think it's very popular. 62% of all the public thinks we ought to get the hell out. Most Republicans think we, we ought to get the hell out. When we're talking about sane, sensible Republicans, the majority of the Republican Party is not crazy. It's just their office holders are craven. Right. That's what I mean by the Republican, the Taliban wing of the Republican Party, Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and people like that. They're basically extremists. I do not right. think the majority of the Republican voters are extremists. But even someone like Lindsey Graham, who was sort of went with the wind, is now anytime anything happens calling for Biden to resign. Yeah, but who gives a damn what Lindsey Graham says? Nobody takes him <laughs> seriously. <laughs> 
Are you hopeful for the midterms? Yeah, I am. I think there's a good chance we're going to take the Senate. I think the House is 50-50. And I don't care what the inside the Beltway pundits think because they're usually wrong. I think we can pick up Ohio. I think we can pick up North Carolina. I think we're going to pick up Wisconsin. And there's about three other states that are there. I think we have Pennsylvania is another one. Yeah. And I think we're going to hold Nevada. As someone who really has their ear to the ground in democratic politics, are there any politicians that you're excited about who are young, who you feel like our listeners should know about? Tell us. Hell yeah. I tried to get, I tried to get Chris Murphy to run for president and he wouldn't do it because he's got two small children, but he ought to be president of the United States someday. Then there are all kinds of young people on the farm team that are coming up who I think are absolutely great. Thank you so much, Howard. Will you please come back soon? Yes, only if you run that tape about the prime oh, minister. I'm, I'm running it. I'm running it. <laughs> I mean, that is that is that is so great. That's outrageous. <laughs> you will you will definitely get nine million tweets about that, and your popularity will go right up to the. <laughs> Howard, thank you so much. That was great. Thanks. What's crazier than QAnon, more outlandish than Pizzagate, and scarier than a Mexican getaway with Ted Cruz? The answer is what the American right wing has planned next. Be one of the first to listen to Fever Dreams, the new podcast from the Daily Beast tracking the conspiracy slingers, orange acolytes, and straight-up grifters pushing to retake power. Every Wednesday, hosts Swin Subasang and Will Summer check in on the movement of the radical right. Head to thedailybeast.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast player to catch the first episode and get subscribed. That's Fever Dreams, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Jesse Cannon. Molly Jong Fast, what's going on today? Another day. Some more fuckery. Another reason to have hostility towards people who, quite frankly, suck. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's what we do here. The end of the show. I feel like this person disappoints you always. I've- if I lived in Wisconsin, I would make it my mission to retire this asshole. Agreed. His name is Ron Johnson, and he sucks. A.K.A. Russia Ron Johnson on this podcast. Russia Ron is uh, doubling down on his anti-vaxxer rhetoric. Mm. Again, I would think that you would not want to kill your constituents. But perhaps I am mistaken. I think you're just not a Republican in this day and age because that seems to be the thing they're into now. Ron Johnson, he is uh, saying that the horse dewormer Ivermectin, he says that multiple podcasts and radio appearances this week in which he pushes Ivermectin. Now, here's the deal. We have a vaccine. Then we have, and I know everybody was mad at me because I mispronounced that last week, so I will pronounce it correctly this week, monoclonal antibodies. So we have both a vaccine and a quote-unquote cure, and yet still, Ron Johnson is pushing the fucking horse dewormer, which we're trying to keep people from taking. And so for that, I say... Fuck you, Russia, Ron. Ugh, <sighs> the worst. The worst. Well, my fuck that guy may be one familiar to listeners since I think she's also a reoccurring character for me. It's one Kristen Sinema of Arizona. The occasional Democrat. You know how shitty you have to be to be a Democrat that gets fuck that guy in this <laughs> 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 This often? 
Yes. Well, I often think of when Kristen wore that ring that said fuck off on her finger because that's what she's doing to progressive activists. We're trying to convince her the right opinion, which is that she needs to let up on the filibuster and stop with this grandstanding bullshit about the budget is too high and realize that the Democrats are going to lose and they're never going to be able to regain power if an authoritarian comes into power unless she lets up. But so now she's not allowing people from the Working Families Party to lobby her. There's been over 50 activists arrested outside of her office, and she's basically giving them that fuck offering and just going to brunch and doing her thing. And for that, I think it's kind of repulsive that a Democrat is being that hostile towards any of her constituents, and it really is a thing that you just have to wonder what else is going on behind the scenes with her since this behavior is so disturbing. She really isn't a brunch. I, I, I mean, listen, I can't knock that because that'd be very hypocritical of me. But she is like quite obsessed with brunch and also running marathons, which nothing wrong with that. Molly, I live in Brooklyn and uh, in the heart of brunchland. Brunch country, as they say. Yes. Yeah. If, if, I, if I really take the stand on this, I'm going to be in a lot of hypocrisy trouble. That's right. Good point. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.